you turn your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we'll finish it up. And as we finish up chapter 2, you know, part of what I really intend to get to tonight is kind of the, the thing that we all struggle with. And there are times when we're ministering to people and we're speaking the truth of the gospel and people just look at us like we are completely out of our minds. Like we are speaking a foreign language to them. And the fact of the matter is we are speaking a foreign language to them. We're speaking as believers and they're hearing it as unbelievers. We're speaking as ones who know the truth and that truth is set us free and they're hearing it as people who have not received the gift of grace and really haven't got a clue what it means to walk. And in that sense, we are speaking a foreign language to them. It is the work of the Holy Spirit that reveals truth to those who believe. The principal work of the Holy Spirit in the world is to convict, John 16 tells us, to convict of sin and of righteousness. And so prior to someone coming to faith in Christ, the primary work that they're receiving from God is conviction if their life is in sin and conviction of what it means to be righteous. And it really goes not much further than that to someone who does not know the Lord. Because until someone comes to faith in Christ, the one thing that the Lord Jesus is concerned about is that they be saved. And so the focus of the attention of the Holy Spirit on an unbeliever is to help them know that they're a sinner and that they need a savior. So when you talk to them about walking in the spirit, they haven't got a clue. When you talk to them about what it means to be someone who is redeemed, they generally do not understand what you're talking about. You are speaking a foreign language because those things are spiritually appraised by someone who knows the Lord. And so tonight, title of the message is, they just don't get it. <laughs> Would you pray with me? And we'll pick up in verse 11 here in 1 Corinthians 2. Father, thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, for the plan that includes the Godhead, the three persons of the Trinity, each with a unique role, and yet all three, the one God whom we love. And we pray that you'd minister to us now your truth, help us to understand and to know, so that we might be more effective in sharing the gospel. Help us to hear and listen, and help us to obey, Lord, as your spirit changes our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? And that this is an example. 
And we'll look at this in some detail in a few moments. But he's not speaking of something that is simply fleshly. He's trying to set an example to where we understand that people understand what it's like to be a people. Flipper doesn't get being human. Okay? As much as our dogs, my dogs look at me and I know that they know what I'm saying but they really don't. Human beings understand what it's like to be a human being. That's the context here. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now, before you go off on a tangent in your mind, that's why I reminded you of the work of the Holy Spirit in the world to everyone. The Spirit exists in the world in three principal ways. The Holy Spirit is in the world. That primary role is to convict of sin and righteousness, and we'll get there in a moment. The primary work of, a, of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer is to indwell you with the Holy Spirit so that you can now fulfill the calling that God's placed on your life as a believer. So the Holy Spirit is in the world and the Holy Spirit is in you. And the third way that the Holy Spirit is in this world is the Holy Spirit works out of you because you have been overflowed by the Holy Spirit. So we see in this passage really the the way that we can relate to the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit is first in the world convicting Jeff Gill of sin and of righteousness. Jeff received Christ Jesus, and in doing so, received the gift of the Holy Spirit, so the Holy Spirit is now in me, so I can understand spiritual things. The third way is now that I have understood those things, those things begin to now work out of me because I have been overflowed with the Holy Spirit. And so this passage helps us understand the working of the Holy Spirit, and even greater still, the working of the trinity or the triune godhead now we have received not the spirit of the world but the spirit who is from god that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by god you see in a in a really condensed way and first peter chapter one tells us this and you can see it very plainly in in verse two of that chapter that the role of the Godhead, all three persons of the triune Godhead, that three-in-one God that is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are in view in this one verse. And so this is a, a chapter that is really setting us up for when we get to chapters 12, 13, and 14 here in the book of 1 Corinthians, describing one portion of the Godhead. But you can see the the Father's plan because Jesus Christ, God's own Son, came into the world that the world through him might be saved. Amen? God the Father is not God the Son. There are three places in the scriptures that it's very clear that God the Father is talking to God the Son. So they cannot be the same person. So here the third person comes in, the Holy Spirit. Notice here in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, we are, you and I are, as believers, elect, selected by God, in other words. Book of Ephesians tells us, before the foundation of the world, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. 
So God the Father's foreknowledge, his understanding, is part of that selection process of believers. But in sanctification of the Spirit. And so when the Spirit of God convicts us of sin and of righteousness, guess what happens? We change our behavior and we become more saintly, which is to be sanctified. To be, in other words, more holy. You would not know that without the role of the Holy Spirit convicting you both of sin and of righteousness. Because it's one thing to know the wrong way, it's another thing to know the right way. Amen? So you need both sides. So we are sanctified in the Holy Spirit, but that doesn't happen unless we have obeyed, received, and believed the price paid to make you a believer, which is that you are now sprinkled in obedience by the blood of Jesus Christ. So all three persons uniquely working in the Godhead with one mission in mind, and that is to make us, conform us into Christ Jesus and make us like the king. And so this passage helps us understand that until you are a believer, you wouldn't actually be saved, and this is a way to look at it, unless the Father had planned from the beginning, because we are the children of God, made so according to Scripture before the foundations of the world. God always had a plan to save us. He never intended for Adam and Eve's sin to be the end all to everyone. In other words, he didn't look at Adam and Eve and go, well, man, it's going to be tough on those guys, but I hope some of them make it. No, he had a plan. Before Adam and Eve sinned, God the Father had a plan to redeem us. And that plan of redemption was made visible by the work of the Holy Spirit through the conviction and ultimately also the regeneration that occurs when the Holy Spirit is placed inside of us because we now are indwelt with the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That's why we can say, that's why we agree with the Apostle Paul, behold, all things are becoming new, for I am a new creation in Christ Jesus created for good works that we should walk in them. You, you see, these things that we are are a work of the Holy Spirit convicting us. Because I now go, wow, I was really messed up before I met Jesus. And I go, wow, I can really be different now that I know Jesus. But the secret is, I need to know Jesus, amen? So if Jesus doesn't die, we can't be saved. If the Holy Spirit doesn't convict, we can't be saved. If God the Father doesn't send his Son, we can't be saved. It takes all three. So we see here primarily the role of the, of the Holy Spirit. And look, there is no other way for people who were once unbelievers to be believers save this one plan. God doesn't have an alternate plan. You can become a Buddhist with just your mind. Matter of fact, it is entirely mental. You have to work really hard at denying yourself, denying your flesh, and it does not lead to salvation. It only leads to another opportunity to be reincarnated so you can try a little harder the next time. That can be purely mental. You can believe that trees have souls. That is simply mind. You can have those thought processes. 
you can actually believe in God. Now, let me be really careful here. You see, lots of people believe in God. But ask them what that means, and they will say something like, well, that's Brother Eagle, or that's Vishnu, or that's Krishna, or that's Zeus, or that's me. There are a lot of people here in America that believe God is them. In other words, they believe that ultimately there's a supreme being, that supreme being has some kind of power, and that power is greater than the average human being. I've had people tell me that they believe that Lord Vader actually is the ruler of the universe. I've had people tell me that their dog Sparky is actually, you know, some kind of alien and he's inhabited this planet long and he's a spirit. And I mean, it's crazy. But see, those things are of your mind. None of those ways actually provide a way for you to be right with God. But God's way provides a way, only one way, for you to be right with God so that you can actually be redeemed and have a relationship with the true and the living God. That comes by the Holy Spirit's work in you to convict you that you are going the wrong way and here's the right way. This is really the difference between biblical Christianity and every cult. And I want to give you just four easy ways to look at any other religion, to look at any other belief system, and to judge it as to whether it's the gospel and true salvation. Because you see, Jesus was very clear in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 and 16. He said, the way that you know false prophet is by the fruit that they produce. The way that you know something's not true is by what it does. So what is the character of those groups which don't have it right? Because you see, spiritual things are spiritually appraised. And we're going to get there in this passage. The carnal mind doesn't even understand them. But man is very good at making up religion. Ways to attempt to please God, whoever he is. Mormonism teaches that there is a supreme being. His name is Elohim, and he lives on the planet Kolob. He's out there somewhere in a distant galaxy. But they also teach that Jesus has a whole bunch of sons. Not one, but many. You see, all cults promote a false teaching of the nature of God. Your Bible clearly represents God as existing in three persons. Those three persons are all equally God. And all three persons are necessary and all three persons are unique in their role in your salvation. For instance, Mormonism does not teach that. They teach tritheism. There are three gods... And they are not the same, and one of those gods is more powerful than the rest. So they got the wrong God, and they have the wrong Jesus. 
consequently. Jehovah's Witnesses completely deny the Trinity in its entirety. There is only Jehovah God, which, by the way, the term Jehovah isn't even found in your Bible. Yahweh is, but Jehovah's not. It's a transliteration. It was made up to understand who God is. So cults always have the wrong view of God. We believe by the Holy Spirit that God exists in three persons and is yet one God. The second thing is they all teach, every cult teaches, a false view of Jesus. And Mormonism is an example of that, as is Christian science. Christian science believes that Jesus was actually a man. He came with the Christ ideal. He lived a pretty good life, but he not only was not God, he was not also raised from the dead. Let me put it to you this way. If that cross didn't have Jesus hanging on it, he didn't die and wasn't buried in the grave and raised three days later, then we are not saved. So a false view of Jesus your Bible teaches by the work of the Holy Spirit that Jesus Christ is 100% man and 100% God. That's why his name is Emmanuel, God with us. But he is also the Son of God. He's God the Son. A third thing Every cultish belief system has a false teaching on salvation. We believe that God the Father had a singular plan that sent his one son into this world that the world through him should be saved. That he died on Calvary's cross. He was raised three days later by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he lives forevermore. And that we who believe in him Though we will one day physically die, we'll not perish eternally, but have everlasting life. You see, we believe that salvation comes through the one Christ who was sent by the one God the Father, who was raised by the one Holy Spirit. You see, we don't believe that Christ just gives us the potential. We believe Christ is essential for our salvation. Now, the reason this is important is these are the things that people struggle with. So when you're talking to somebody about what it means to be a believer, they are thinking, well, how can God be one and yet three? They don't yet they're struggling with that that's why every cult eliminates that he's not three and one maybe three gods maybe one god and two that are other things maybe the other two aren't actually god at all You see, normally salvation then boils down to some type of personal worth, something you can do, which is the foundation stone of almost every single cult. There's something you must personally do to be saved. 
Your Bible says that God sent his own son into this world, that the world through him would be saved. Very, very specific. And it's the only way. That's why Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. John 14, 6. No one comes to the Father but by me. And the fourth thing, and this is where you're going to run into people because you're going to have people come from the Jehovah's Witness and they're going to come with their watchtower tracks and they're going to say, we want to invite you over to have a meal together with you and we want to share the truths of the Bible. But they actually don't want to share the truths of the Bible with you. They want to share an an errant version that they themselves edited to make it say what they want it to say, because if you read the real one, you will find out that God exists in three persons. And so here's our new century version. Here's our new world version. Here's our version of the Bible. And we have conveniently made God's son not God at all. you see they rely on extra-biblical sources. And the classic case of this, again, is the Mormon church. A Mormon will be happy to share with you from a King James Bible. But then they will tell you, well, you can't really know unless you have this. And they whip out a nice book of Mormon for you. And they'll give it to you. Then they'll say, oh, that's not quite enough either. And they'll ask you, well, you need to read the Pearl of Great Price as well. And oh, by the way, the doctrines and covenants. And so there are actually four standard works to the Mormon faith. And you need all four. And then, oh, by the way, just in case we messed up in any of these, the living prophet can change any of this anytime he wants. And whatever he says is also scripture. You see, the work of the Holy Spirit in this world is to convict you of sin and of righteousness. So the way cults get people sucked in is they make it so confusing as, well, you need to go to this class, you need to go to that class, you need to be sanctified, you need to be prayed over, you need to have the priesthood announced on you, you need to do all these other things. And in essence, they teach salvation through their organization. I'm setting the tables for a reason here. Because that's not what happens in the process of you becoming a believer. It is infinitely more simple. And now we've kind of seen what cults do to try and hide that. Now what does the Holy Spirit actually do? to accomplish your salvation. Here's the Trinity at work, and this is my own life. Peter's sermon in the book of Acts where all these people become followers of Christ, he simply says to them in Acts chapter 4, and verses 9 through 12, let it be known to all of you, to all the people of Israel, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, and he did that by the Holy Spirit, By him, this man, speaking about Lazarus, stands before you whole. And this is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So here's the work of the triune God in Jeff's life. 
God the Father, as far as he was concerned, he chose me before the foundation of the world. He knew my name, he knew my life, he created good works for me that I should walk in them. As far as God the Son is concerned, the moment Jesus cried out from the cross to tell us it is finished, the moment he was buried in the grave and raised three days later, he provided the power of God over sin and death so that I could now be saved. As far as the Holy Spirit is concerned, and this is our topic for tonight, if you will, I was saved on April 13th of 1968. God the Father saw it before the foundation of the world. Jesus Christ knew about it when he died on Calvary's cross, paid the price for my sin. But the Holy Spirit convicted me of my sin and of the righteousness of Christ. And I believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ through a traveling evangelist at Elkhorn First Baptist Church who preached the biblical gospel. It took all three of the persons of the Godhead working to one end to save me. Can I tell you something? I didn't know that when I got saved. I had no idea that that was what happened. So if someone had looked me in the eye and said, man, you were predestined to adoption, I would have gone, "On what to her? You know, you're going to be sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ. You're going to be what? All I knew was I was a sinner and I was headed to hell and I needed a savior. That's the work of the Holy Spirit until you become a believer. Then I realized that God actually wanted to change my life and make me into an image of Jesus, an imitation. Follow me, as Paul said, as I follow Christ. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. You see, the Trinity was at work all along. But I began to know all of this the moment I said yes to Jesus. And so the Holy Spirit began to work in my life. And probably many of you have had this exact same experience. All, all you knew when you said yes to Jesus was you were going the wrong way and you needed to go the right way. You see, in that sense, just as our passage says here, and we'll pick up now uh, the rest of these verses, the, the communication lines were actually down. That's why it says, For what man knows the things of man except the spirit of man which is in him? In other words, humans understand human things. But once the connection is made by the Holy Spirit and the lines are up and functioning, all of a sudden you start to get a lot more information pouring into your life via the Holy Spirit because you're now a believer. And so God is beginning to fill your mind. You see, dogs can't do that. Rhinos can't do that. Parrots, wildebeest, badgers, name your animal. Dolphins cannot understand what it's like to be a human being. And unbelievers cannot understand what it's like to be a believer until they're a believer. All they know is, I'm going the wrong way. That's why when you talk to them, well, you know, the Bible says. And by the way, it's perfectly okay to do that. But don't be dismayed 
if there's like this kind of cloud that hangs over their head, they're going, I don't get it. That is a sure sign you need to keep preaching Christ Jesus to them. Because the fact that they don't understand spiritual things is a sign they're not saved. Verse 12. Verse 11, the second half. And even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. And now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit whom is from God that we might know the things that have been freely given by God. And these things, verse 13 says, we also speak. Not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man, the unredeemed man, the unsaved man, the person who doesn't know Christ... The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. It's Greek. It's Hebrew. It's Swahili or German or what? some unknown language to them. They don't get it because they have not received the interpreter yet. The Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them. Because these things are spiritually discerned. And that word discerned means to appraise the value of. In other words, you don't know what that's worth until the Holy Spirit of God is actually placed in you at salvation. So don't be surprised when your friends who are partying every night feel perfectly okay in their party mode and they wonder why you're not joining them. When you say to them, man, I'm a child of God and I just can't do those things anymore, they're going, what? That relationship that you're in with that guy or that girl and you have been intimate with them because you've been dating and that's what dating people do and all of a sudden you give your life to Christ. You say, you know what, I can't do this anymore. It's wrong. And they go, are you kidding me? Are, are you sick or something? Or when your friends invite you to go to that movie, hey, we want to go dead slasher cuts off the heads of lots of people movie. Do you want to go see it with us? And you go, no, I really don't. And they're going, what? You used to love slasher movies. Well, I don't love them anymore because that's not okay with God. They're like, what? Hey, you want to go to Vegas? You know, we can go and, you know, just steal some money from somebody and we'll go party. Sorry, I can't do that because I gave my life to Jesus and they're going, what'd you do that for? (laughs) You are speaking a foreign language to them. As a believer, you're going, I can't do this. It shames my Lord Jesus. It puts another stripe on his back. It puts another nail in his hands. And I am crucifying again the Lord of glory because of my actions. And you're going, man, I can't do it. Notice where this goes. It's foolishness. They literally think you're nuts because they have no way to even understand what it is that you're saying. But he who is spiritual judges all things. 
Yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. You see, the opposite is also true. When that person who doesn't know the Lord looks at your life, they have no reference point with which to judge your life. They look at you like you're completely crazy because you're no longer doing those things. That's because you have only one judge and his name is Jesus. That's why the apostle is going to, I let no one judge me save Jesus. No one gets to judge me anymore on this earth except for my king. I may not be perfect, but I'm going to stand before the one true judge in heaven one day and I'm going to answer to him. I am not responsible to please everybody on this planet. I am responsible to please the Lord of glory. That's where my responsibility lies. And if I do that right, you know what? I'm going to please my wife. I'm going to please my children. I'm going to likely please most of you. I'm going to please other people because the Lord Jesus wants us to have peace and unity and joy and all those things. But my goal is to be well-pleasing to my king so that when he judges me, I'll be judged in the righteousness of Christ and walking exactly as he would want me to walk. But you see, somebody who doesn't know the Lord doesn't get it. It's a mystery to them. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And there's a subtlety here that if you don't really look at the original language, you don't see it. He says, well, who can know the mind of God? Well, we actually have the mind, the same discerner of the intents of the heart of man at that work of the Holy Spirit is now in you. So actually you can know, however imperfectly, the direction God wants for your life. You actually can discern things of the Spirit now. Why? Because you have an interpreter built in. Any of you, you have a smartphone. In case you didn't know it's on there, there's a thing, it's free, Google Translate. Most wonderful app ever. Because you can put it on the voice mode and you can select from all kinds of languages and you can speak in English into it and it spits it out in Spanish. Or it spits it out in German or it spits it out in French or Portuguese or whatever you want. It's this wonderful thing because in the mind of your cell phone through Google Translate, you have infinite amounts of ability to translate language into the language that you want to speak from the language that you natively speak. You see you have a built-in translator. That translator for spiritual things is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's the translator of spiritual things from your carnal thinking. In other words, you say, well, Lord, I don't really know what to do here. Could you translate this into Jesus for me so that I would know what the Lord wants? And the Holy Spirit does that. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. And you don't have to turn there, but I'm going to give you a few verses, and they're, they're all found in John's Gospel, chapter 15 and 16. Uh, we'll be looking at verse 26 in chapter 15, verses 7 and 8 and 13 and 15 in, in John chapter 16. And I want you to just listen for a second. But I will send you the counselor, the helper, the spirit of truth, and he will come to you from the Father, and he will tell you about me. Do you see all three persons of the Godhead there? I will send you the counselor, the spirit of truth. He'll come from the Father, and he will tell you about me. It's Jesus speaking in that passage. 
That's the Spirit revealing to anyone the Lord Jesus. Verses 7 and 8 in chapter 16. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It will probably help you understand a little better. It is actually best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the Counselor, Holy Spirit, won't come. But if I do go away, he will come. Because I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convince the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The exact thing that I've been telling you, this is Jesus speaking about the role of the Holy Spirit which he will send once he leaves. Where's Jesus? He's in heaven. He went and then he sent. And the reason he sent the Holy Spirit is the price was paid, his work was done, the power of the cross was unveiled to mankind, it's now available to us, And all that needs to happen in every person's life is the conviction of sin so you can repent and of righteousness so you know the way to go. Very simple. You see, that's a mystery to people. It's too simple. So you mean all I need to do is believe on Jesus and I'll be saved? Yep. That's the power of the gospel and the salvation to them who believe. It's mind-bogglingly simple. Verses 13 through 15, same chapter, John chapter 16. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So now you see actually a little bit of a addition to the Holy Spirit convicting of the righteousness side of all truth. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, Amen. He's truth, 100% truth. The Bible is speaking truth to us. And so when the spirit of truth, that would be the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he'll guide you into all truth. He'll not be presenting his own ideas. He'll be telling you what he has heard. You see the Holy Spirit there being called a he? Why? Because the Holy Spirit's a he. It's not an it, it's not a power, it's a person. The third person of the triune God, the three in one. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by revealing to you whatever he receives from me. All that the Father has is mine. So you see again all three persons of the Godhead at work in a couple of sentences. All that the Father has is mine. Who's the mine? That's Jesus. Who's going to reveal it? The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth is going to be coming. All the Father has is mine, and this is what I mean when I say that the Spirit will reveal to you whatever he receives from me. You see, when people say, well, you know, I don't know, this Holy Spirit thing, it's kind of freaky. You know, I might, I might raise my hands when I'm worshiping God. I might utter something in a tongue I don't understand. I hope I don't actually move when I'm worshiping. Because you know that's not holy. You see, the Holy Spirit reveals these things to you. 
That's why when somebody first gets saved, they don't necessarily know everything. That's the role of the Holy Spirit now in sanctification. That person is going to get more like Jesus, more like Father God, more like the Holy Spirit in that sense, because the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. So all truth is being revealed. And so what happens is you grow in your knowledge of God. You begin to know God better and more. You see, here's something that you learn pretty quickly in ministry. I don't know anything about God. Now, I know that sounds a little strange because I'm up here teaching you about God, but I can tell you that my human mind is incapable of fully knowing God. There are still things that are an amazement to me. People ask me to explain the sovereign workings of God in the death of a child. You know what happens to me? I start crying. I haven't been able to figure that one out. And I've done a lot of funerals of babies. I still don't know why God allows it, but he does. Why do good kids from good families end up on drugs? I don't know. I don't know. Why do bad things happen to good people? I don't know. You would think after a few decades in ministry, you'd have some answers for some of those things. I have no answers for those things. Except that there is a Father in heaven who's had a plan from day one for everything. And I believe that Jesus Christ came and died both for the child who died and for the person who caused that child to die. I know that. And I know that the Holy Spirit is able to convict every last person of the truth of the gospel. I know that. But you see, what happens as I grow in Christ, I do know a few more things about God today than I did when I got saved. I can rattle off a few hundred scriptures for you. And I can tell you how God's worked in my life. And I can tell you how God's worked in the life of the church. I can tell you I've watched God do literal miracles. I have seen them with my own eyes. I can tell you some things about the great and wonderful God that we love and serve. But I can't tell you everything. You see, I still need to know God better. It's a lifelong pursuit. And that's the role of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit's wisdom. It's the Holy Spirit's power. There is no earthly source for that power. It only comes from the Holy Spirit. I can't bottle it for you. You know, sometimes, when I, especially when I'm teaching with young people and trying to help them get over maybe a hump of something theologic that they're trying to think through, it's like, well, I just don't know, man, this whole sovereignty and election thing, and it's like man's responsibilities, and, you know, yet he's chosen, and blah, 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 blah. And then we just go down these rabbit trails in our minds. I wish I could bottle the Holy Spirit and put it in a bottle, say, just drink some of this and come back and talk to me tomorrow. But I can't. Because the Holy Spirit's a he. And the interpreter that you need is in you. You can turn on Holy Spirit Translate. And all of a sudden it's like, wow, I get it. I can't explain it, 
but I get it. And here's how you know, because the peace of God guards your heart and your mind. And you just know. You know that you know. I know that when a baby dies, because Scripture says so, the Holy Spirit's revealed it, David cried out, I will not see him again, but I shall go to him. I know where babies are. They're in heaven. They haven't figured out the conviction of sin and righteousness that I know what God's grace does and it takes them to heaven. I didn't know that when I first got saved. I figured, man, that baby must have been bad. That was one bad baby. See that? It's got some bad parents and the bad parents are being punished. You see how your knowledge grows a little bit with the Holy Spirit? See, I thought it was bad parents and bad baby. And all along it was good God for unknown reasons. Holy Spirit does that. I can't tell you all the hows and whys and wherefores, but I can tell you what the Holy Spirit's done in my life. I actually understand the very heart and words, thoughts of God to some degree. I know Jesus loves me. I know I have been redeemed. I know my life, which was destined to be separated from God for all eternity, has been amazingly made right because of the blood of Jesus Christ. I know that when I take my last breath on this earth, I'm going to open my eyes and go, Jesus! Why? Because the Holy Spirit has convicted me of that truth, that righteousness. I now can discern those things. I've received the Spirit of God, so I don't have earthly knowledge trying to figure it out. The mysteries of God all of a sudden kind of like, wow, God, you're so good. I used to struggle, and I'll just share this with you. I used to struggle. It's like, man, is every person born in a Muslim country, are they cursed by God? Is that why they were born there, God? Is because you knew they'd never receive you, so you made them all Muslims. And then I met all these Muslim Christians who were formerly Muslims who believed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ because they saw him in a vision. Because the Lord himself, by the Holy Spirit, came and convicted them of sin and of righteousness, and they actually gave their life to Christ, never having even seen a Bible. And then they started wanting Bibles. Same things happened in India to Hindus who were absolutely, completely sure that there were several thousand gods. I've met Buddhists who have had the same experience. You see, before I just thought everybody who was a Hindu was cursed and everybody who was a Muslim was cursed and everybody who was born in Russia was probably cursed. And if you weren't born in America, you pretty much had no chance of being saved. And the Holy Spirit reminded me, you know, Jeff, I'm a little better than that. 
yes, you have a role to play. And I want you to preach the gospel until you die. But don't you ever think that I'm so dependent on you that I can't save anyone. You see, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul is writing the thoughts and the words of God, and that's the reason that we have the Bible itself. It's a God thing. It's the way the Lord works. Really what's in view here is ultimately spiritual discernment. We use that word kind of loosely in our Christian culture. I have the gift of discernment, brother. You've probably had those people come to you and pronounce their judgment on you. Brother, I can discern you got the spirit of pornography on you. I'll pray that right out you. Shane and Shane did this to me. I'll write him a note. Oh, you know what I'm saying. You see, we kind of can find this thing of discernment like it's some kind of secret, ooh, knowledge. It's like I got some special stuff and I can use it. You don't got it. That's not it at all. It's actually to understand the mind of God. Understand how God sees things from his perspective. You know what happens if you actually have it? You're not going to beat people up with it. You're not going to walk around as, you know, I have the gift of discernment, so I'm going to point out all your faults and failures to you. Look, I got enough of my own faults and failures. You don't need to tell me anymore. That's not the gift of discernment. The gift of discernment is not you going around sin sniffing. It's like... like thumper sinner tell me something new no spiritual discernment is to appraise the things of God the spirit of discernment is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead if you want real discernment it is full alignment with the word of God you want to be 100% accurate, just take out your Bible. What your Bible says, do it. Your discernment will be spot on. Notice how this really plays out. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God because they're foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually appraised. Did Jesus come into this world to condemn anyone? Let me give you the short answer, No. He came that the world through him might be saved. Did he tell anyone to judge anyone else as to whether they were going to heaven or not? No, he did not. He said to simply judge them by their fruit, and by their fruit you shall know them. But he was referring to those that were errant in their doctrine. So discernment is a way that we can know what God wants so that we can live the way God wants so that we can act the way that God wants. Romans chapter 8. If you want to turn there, you can. I'm going to look at a couple of verses here, verses 5 through 9. For those who live according to the flesh 
set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. In verse 7, because the carnal mind is enmity. It's literally at war against God. For it's not subject to the law of God, nor can it be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You see, most of the time when we're doing our sin sniffing, it's because somebody's just simply in the flesh. They're, they're walking in the same problems that you probably have. It's just that you don't see them in you because you're blind to them. We've been called by God to lift one another up, build one another up, occasionally shake one another up, but never condemn one another. Because condemnation is actually the role of the enemy. Jesus came so that we could have life. Sin and righteousness, that comes from the Holy Spirit. So if someone's in sin, it's perfectly okay. Say, man, brother, sister, you know, you're engaged in this, and here's what Scripture says about it. But you know what you're going to do? You're going to love them. Speak the truth in love. Not speak the truth and punch them right between the eyes. Not get out the holy two-by-four of, you know, your own judgment. You see, if you'll get out of the way, the Holy Spirit actually will convict of sin and righteousness. But when you insert yourself as the role of the Holy Spirit in someone else's life, and let me tell you, that is one of the chief things that we see in marriage counseling. It's like one or the other sees some kind of fault in the other, and they're like, I am now the Holy Spirit, so I'm going to convict you myself. little word to you. Pray more, yak less. Pray more, condemn less. Just plain pray more. And let the Holy Spirit convict. Let the Holy Spirit have Adam. Let the Holy Spirit release the hounds of heaven of conviction on your spouse or your family member. The Holy Spirit's way better at it than you are. And all of a sudden, man, they're hearing from God. It's like, dude, you were going the wrong way. And oh, by the way, you're going 65 and there's a block wall at the end of the street. You're going to hit it head on. And his name is Jesus. You see, spiritually thing, spiritual things are spiritually appraised. The carnal mind can't know them. You need to pray that their carnal mind is softened to the work of the Holy Spirit. Not that you try and beat them into submission, but you love them into understanding that God has a better plan for their life. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's never wrong, by the way. The problem is the Holy Spirit might just take a little longer than you want him to take because he's going to be patient with somebody and loving and kind and they're not going to get it like you want them to get it. But when the light bulb goes on, that appraisal system, that discernment, 
it goes deep. It's like, man, I messed up. Let the Holy Spirit work in other people's lives. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. You see, here's the deal. There's really only one perfect judge. There's only one perfect judge. But he who is spiritual judges all things. And he himself is rightly judged by no one. You know, if you were perfectly walking in the Lord, then you have exactly one judge. His name is the Lord. You'll have it 100%, but because we're not perfect and because we don't always walk exactly as we should, we have no business being in the judging business. We have no business being in the judging business. Way too much emphasis is put on, well, man, I'm just inspecting fruit. I ain't seen a human tree yet that doesn't have some rotten apples on it, okay? Just saying. If we'd spend more time praying for people and less time condemning people, if we'd spend more time actually concerned with their welfare spiritually so that the light will go on so that they can see it correctly instead of trying to tell them how God wants to work in their life, you're going to have a lot more success in seeing change in someone's life. Tell them the truth, of course, but tell them the truth in love. And then let the Holy Spirit be the judger of that person's mind, the judger of that person's actions. Applying human wisdom never fixes it. You know, spiritual matters, unbelievers can't do it at all. But our job is to simply present the true gospel of Jesus Christ, the true power of the Holy Spirit, and let the true love of God sort out the rest of the details. Amen? Would you stand with me? We're going to close in prayer. I'm going to have the pastors come down front and be available for prayer. You know, maybe you've got a problem with judging. Maybe you've been kind of playing Holy Spirit in somebody's life. And you're just tired of that battle. It's wearisome, I know, because I've done it. And I don't judge you if that's you. But I'm telling you, God wants to set you free from being that kind of a, of a believer because he's got better plans for your life. He's far better at convicting of sin and of righteousness than you will ever be. It's one thing to speak the truth and love to someone's life. It's another thing to try and play the role that only God can play and be the judge, the jury, and oftentimes, unfortunately, the executioner. So if you need prayer to be set free from that, that heart that kind of has to be a fault finder, needs to figure out what's wrong with other people, maybe the answer is just taking a closer look at yourself, asking yourself why you think that way. Maybe God wants to turn you into a prayer warrior. Father, thank you. Thank you for the solemnity of the work of the Holy Spirit. God, I sense you're doing a work in in your house tonight. And Lord, I want to pray for those that 
They do spend so much of their time trying to figure everyone else out. Lord, they've been judging and Lord condemning. Lord, their motives aren't even right most of the time. I, I would pray that tonight you'd set them free. Lord, do we become lovers of men's souls just as you are? Lord, your, your love is perfected in us and that Christ died for us while we were yet sinning. That's crazy. Father, would you help us to love other people the way you have loved us? Would you help us to forgive and forget or to put away? God, thank you for sending the Holy Spirit Lord, not just into our lives as believers, but into this world. That people through that work of the Holy Spirit can come to know Jesus. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, come and have it your people. Make us ministers of the gospel. Set us free, Lord. Give us solid discernment. The power of your word working in us. Power of your love working out of us. Lord, your mind to think with. In Jesus' name, amen.